unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Glad to have you listening to the show once again. Coming up, Victor Anderson, a connection I've made through the Captain and Company Morning Show on OldSchool101.com. Slick Vic in the green room, the virtual green room that is. He'll be joining us to talk some sports here in just a few moments. So, uh, how did you like Fall Frenzy in the Major League Baseball wildcard round Wednesday? Eight games from noon to midnight, a very much March Madness kind of feel to things. And it was pretty exciting to have all that activity happening uh, midweek. And ESPN even dropped uh, a game on ABC, and they've got a couple more scheduled potentially here in the postseason. First time ABC has had Major League Baseball playoff action since 1995. And I'll tell you again, ABC is becoming a factor in the ESPN sports plans. Uh, You know, they want to get back into the Super Bowl rotation with the National Football League. That'll have to be simulcast on ABC and it probably means they're going to have to utilize ABC if not for Monday Night Football maybe they go after one of the other primetime packages but uh, again the wild card round best two out of three in this odd 2020 season after 60 regular season games a 16 team playoff and uh, hey for this season you got to like it. I think the extra round and the extra games add a little more fervor to it. And, you know, whoever wins the championship is uh, going to be well-deserved of it. That is for sure. And, you know, I have to talk about my Braves. They uh, sweep the Reds in two games. 22 scoreless innings from the pitching staff. Max Fried, Ian Anderson, and a tremendous bullpen. And uh, on Wednesday, when they went 13 in a tension-filled game, first time a scoreless game has gone at least into the 12th inning. So, see, we always tell you, you <laughs> you just wait a, a, another week and you'll come across another first in baseball. And that was certainly yet another first. Steelers and Titans are now the NFL's first COVID postponement. They won't play this weekend, but in week seven. So follow closely. Both teams will now have a week four bye. They originally were going to try to delay to Monday and even possibly Tuesday, but more uh, positive tests for the Titans. So the Titans, they were previously scheduled to have a week seven bye, but now that's the week where they will face the Steelers. And not only would the Titans and Steelers be changing their bye weeks, but that brings in the Baltimore Ravens schedule as well. The uh, Steelers were originally supposed to travel to Baltimore in week seven, but that game would need to be moved. So both the Ravens and Steelers would have a bye in week eight. Those teams would then play in week eight, and the Ravens' bye would be moved to week seven. Confused? (laughs) Don't feel bad. All right, it is my pleasure to welcome to the program for the first time a connection I've made through the Captain Company Morning Show on OldSchool101.com. Victor Anderson, Slick Vic, is in the house. How are you, sir? Pleasure to be on the program, sir. Finally getting a chance to be on, so I'm glad to to be on board this week. Yeah, it's good to have you. And, uh, 
you know, you, you, you got a great timing to be on the show because uh, our sports world is, the calendar is full with everything, isn't it? <laughs> you ain't kidding. What's, the question is, what sport isn't being played right now? <laughs> yeah, re- really. I think everything but lacrosse it, uh, is going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah we, right. got, we got lots of lots of good stuff going on so uh first thought is you know baseball started their playoffs and uh the wild card round and uh what did you make you know they're making uh you know fall frenzy the title of it with the eight games on wednesday kind of a march madness feel pretty interesting stuff well you have to give credit to rob Manfred and major league baseball pressing forward despite what looked like a rocky start with the marlins having they're almost half of their team having a quarantine, and then you had other teams like the Cardinals having to rent 43 rental cars for a trip to Chicago. But I give baseball credit in thinking outside of the box in this very unusual year, expanding the playoffs, giving more cities opportunities to see their teams in the postseason. If you had just a regular season, the San Diego Padres, a lot of people felt were going to be two or three years away. They actually had a chance to see a team in a postseason. The Miami Marlins made a postseason for the first time since 2003. The Chicago, both Chicago teams made the playoffs. That's the, the, only the third time that's ever happened. So expanding the playoffs is an opportunity for more cities to enjoy baseball in October, which is the goal of every organization when they start spring training. And I find it ironic that uh, the two teams that almost brought the whole thing down, the Marlins and the Cardinals, make the playoffs. And <laughs> huh. the irony of all ironies, the Marlins had to play 27 games in 24 days with no days off to close the season. And they find a way to finish not only in the playoffs, but above 500. That's a credit to Don Manley, a tremendous manager, a credit to Derek Jeter and the organization, fighting players and having young talent mixed in with veterans to get them into this whole season. Yeah, and, uh, you know, they also were able to take advantage of the doubleheaders, seven-inning games. Your pitchers don't have to, you know, uh, your bullpen isn't as taxed then, so they were able to take uh-huh. advantage of that opportunity. Yeah, but really, if you think about when you have those seven-inning doubleheaders, it's really a test of what a manager can do in regards to constructing a game plan, understanding you don't want to you don't want to use all of your big chess pieces in game one because you have to account for game number two. So it really shows you the flexibility of managers and rosters when you play those double headers. Yeah. And, you know, normally I would not be in favor of having, you know, half the teams make the playoffs. But in this situation, I do like it because it was a shorter season and it does make the playoff run. You got to go a little farther. So it does kind of bring a little bit of legitimacy to uh, winning the championship. A lot of people are going to say there's going to be an asterisk with the championship this season, regardless if it's not DA, if it's not one of the big market teams. I will, if anything, I will say it can give more credence to a championship simply because everybody's had to deal with the same circumstances to start with, not in, not in, not accounting for those organizations that had to deal with COVID outbreaks, that had to deal with games being postponed or canceled because of players or personnel having a quarantine or actually had COVID-19. So it should be a more significant championship given what everybody's had to go through. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, after we get past the wild card round and they go into the four bubbles and uh, 
and play it out. It'll be definitely some uh, interesting stuff to uh, the fall classic coming down the road. So uh, the NBA, you know, after their after their uh, season was interrupted, they resumed things, made Orlando the uh, the center of the NBA universe, and uh, here we are in the finals: the Heat and the Lakers. Uh, Lakers take game one last night. Uh, what do you see in this series? It's plain and simple. There's nobody in Miami, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Heat fan, and I understand this because he was on the team. There is nobody on that Heat roster can stop LeBron James or Anthony Davis mm-hmm. because the athletic ability, the dribbling, the passing, and the ability to guard different positions on the floor along with their offensive proficiency – is something that the Heat already had trouble with in the first place. Plus, you have to like a bench performing like they did with Game 1 with a Cal Kuzma, with an Alex Caruso, with a Dwight Howard. I'm sure Magic fans are real thrilled about that but about <laughs> that news. With those performances off the bench, it's, you're, the, Heat have a, the Heat already have a very thin margin for air going into the series. And when the Lakers are playing that well, you nearly had to be dead solid perfect to even to, to even contend, much less beat the Lakers. Yeah, and, and also to be potentially shorthanded with uh, Dragic going out and Adebayo is doubtful for the next game. Uh, they do have Jimmy Butler, and uh, you know it, it's a uh, you know. W- give me your thoughts on Jimmy Butler. He's a, he's one of those guys. He's kind of a love him or, or hate him kind of guy, right? Jimmy Butler, it, it, he's not for everybody. I equate Jimmy Butler. I, here's the thing. I equate Jimmy Butler to Cap to our good friend Chris Hill, Captain Chris Hill, Captain of Company in the morning. Yep. <laughs> He's not for everybody. <laughs> There's a reason. Look, Minnesota didn't work out. They traded into Philadelphia. Philadelphia, they go to the conference semifinals. They're one Kawhi, bang, 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 bang. Next shot in Game Seven away from going to overtime. Who knows? Maybe they're the ones that go into the NBA Finals the following year. He gets a sign and trade to Miami. Jimmy Butler is a perfect fit for what they call Heat culture. Why? He is a grinder. He's someone who appreciates the work, the sweat, the time that it takes to develop and become a winner. And you got that all around in Miami, led by Mickey Harrison, led by Pat Riley, led by Eric Spolstra. And you have Jimmy Butler going to Miami. When people saw Jimmy Butler going to Miami, they're like, really? Miami? No, it's a perfect fit. And it goes back to when Jimmy Butler was teammates with Dwayne Wade briefly in Chicago. Because mm-hmm. Dwayne Wade went to Miami, was with Miami, went to Chicago before his career ended. And then Wade saw Jimmy Butler and said, he'll be a perfect fit in Miami. And lo and behold, we go for a circle. It's Jimmy Butler leading the Heat to the NBA Finals. Unfortunately, it may not be in a winning effort. Yeah, but I tell you what, though, the the, the one thing that uh, is kind of a crime is the fact that Eric Spolstra does not get more run for being a great coach. The only reason people don't give Eric Spolstra the shine that he deserves is because there was a oh he only he was oh he was the only reason he won the championships was because he had LeBron James and Wayne Wade and Chris Bosh. You know how hard it is to take. Three stars, superstars in next case, and have them play together as a unit and get to four straight NBA finals. You win two finals, if not for low in the 2011, you could have had three championships. He makes five, five, his fifth NBA finals. People are starting to appreciate 
what Eric Spolstra has done. And here's the crazy thing. He's not even 50. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he still had plenty. He has still had plenty of time to get some more championships. And at the end of the day, Eric Spolstra should get more consideration for what he's done as a head coach. He got zero first place votes for the coach of the year. Didn't get everyone talked to him about in the Eastern Conference Finals it was Brad Stevens this, Brad Stevens that, or in the Eastern Conference Semifinals it was Coach Bo- Coach Bud or or Giannis Antetokounmpo. Eric Spolstra is showing you what he can do when he doesn't have the quote unquote superstar, and as people who are bought into that Heat culture. And I'm telling you right now, the Heat have flexibility going to next summer. This is going to be the worst thing that can happen to the Eastern Conference because you're letting a Heat team with Bam Adebayo, who's in his second season, Tyler Hero, who's a rookie, Kendrick Nunn, who was an undrafted rookie, who was starring, who was showing out the first two months of the season. They're going to have cap room, and you're going to hear a certain two-time MVP's name floating in the uh, free agency waters. And if Pat Riley gets a meeting with Giannis... Giannis could go to Miami. So Ooh. imagine Giannis, Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero. Good <laughs> luck. Yeah, that'd be pretty potent. And uh, he, he'll he be saying to Giannis, we have no state income tax. Just remember that <laughs> as, he, yes. uh, as he assigns the dotted line. Um, you know, and Tyler here, I heard a great take from uh, Jeff Van Gundy the other day. Uh, he said, you know, the, the NBA season coming to a halt was kind of a, a a a good thing for Tyler Hero because now when they resumed, it's almost like he's in his second season as opposed to being a rookie. Well, a lot of players, a lot of young players could say that. So, you know, a prime example, Luka Doncic in Dallas. You look at the jump he made, Jamal Murray from Denver, the jump he made taking them to the Western Conference Finals. The same thing could be said with Tyler Hero, the development that he had, especially that performance he had in game four, the performance he had in the Eastern Conference Finals versus Boston when he put up 37 points and led the Heat to victory. It's amazing what can happen when you give players time off and they can work on their games, kind of refresh, kind of relax, kind of reset. And when you go into that bubble, a lot of things can happen. You have the Lakers, who a lot of people expected to make it to the NBA Finals, and a team in the Miami Heat that, very few even gave a chance to even make it to the conference finals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so in essence, uh, that kind of break kind of uh, helped the rookies avoid that rookie wall that they normally hit, you know, because the college seasons are so much shorter. So it uh, def- uh-huh. definitely played into uh, his hands there. So Doc Rivers, he and the Clippers part ways on Monday, and it's already he's got already got another job taking the Philadelphia 76ers gig. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? I'm surprised, Doc decided to go jump back into the fold and do so so quickly. What what, what I'm so surprised about is, one, that the Clippers let him go after he took them to a 3-1, after he took them to unprecedented highs. But that's the price that you pay when you bring in Kawhi Leonard, you trade pretty much all of your draft capital for the next half a decade for Paul George, you have a 3-1 lead, and and you fall short. Now, if it was regular circumstances and they lose, go to the conference finals and they lose to the Lakers, okay. Brought it back one year. 
I think the fact that one, they blew the three one lead, and two, there was no real report that Kawhi Leonard or Paul George went to Steve Ballmer to vouch for Doc to try and keep him and run it back next year. Tells you all you need to know. Mm-hmm. And here's the biggest thing you gotta remember, Jeff. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard can opt out after next season. So whoever Steve Ballmer brings on to coach the Clippers has to understand he's only going to have them possibly for one year. And Paul George said in his press conference after they lost to the Nuggets, oh, it was on a championship of bus season. Yes, it was, sir. And guess what? Next year is even more championship of bus, especially if the Lakers take home the title and they're going to get some more help possibly in the offseason. Yeah. So next coach, you, you got one shot and one shot only, possibly. And, uh, you know, Doc Rivers, and I'm a big Doc Rivers fan, obviously, from his days here in Orlando. But, uh, you know, he has been on the wrong end of the, the 3-1 comeback uh, a few times. So that uh, definitely, you know, is 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 unfortunately a, a badge he has to wear. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's kind of like the scarlet letter. Instead of a scarlet letter, a scarlet three and a dash and a number one on the shirt. Yeah, and uh, what do you think he'll do? Do you think he can unlock the enigma that is Ben Simmons? Can he get Ben Simmons to actually attempt a jump shot? How about the, <laughs> first and foremost? Can he do that? <laughs> yeah, that uh, that would be a start. That would definitely be a start. Uh, let's switch gears to the National Football League, and uh, we're going to have our first COVID postponement. Uh, Titans and Steelers are going to be pushed back a few weeks because uh, uh, Titans had an outbreak issue. And, uh, you know, I, I still contend the NFL was probably the best prepared. They had the most time of anybody to do a non-bubble environment. But uh, you knew there was probably going to be some impact. And uh, the schedule makers are going to have to scramble a little bit to make that game happen. But they do have some flexibility built in. Um, I don't know if this is going to be the first or, or the last we'll see of this, but uh, it certainly will make uh, things interesting, particularly those who play fantasy football, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Please, please make sure your Steelers and uh, Titans are on your lineups accordingly. <laughs> uh, what was what I found so fascinating is that the team that the Titans played the previous week, the Minnesota Vikings, they had no positive cases, and they were practicing as usual at their facility throughout the week. Mm-hmm. So it has to be something that happened within the Titan organization. They have multiple players, including some starters on defense and player personnel members that got tested positive. So they had to shut down the entire facility and cannot practice back in the facility until further notice for the NFL. One thing I did observe, though, Jeff, was that the Titans have a bye in week seven. The Steelers have a bye in week eight. So if they, with enough time and creativity, maybe they can move some dates around and then maybe they can play in those two, one of those two particular weeks. But the problem is, Jeff, if you have your bye early in the season, it's a long stretch before you get yourself a break. And guys, even if you make it to the NFL playoffs. Yeah, and that scenario you talked about, they're going to probably have the uh, uh, the Ravens move uh, their game with the Steelers around in order to uh, make that accommodation. Um What's your thoughts on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers now two and one, or should I say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? <laughs> What's your thoughts oh, on the Bucks? Well, so everyone, look, everyone has to realize that there was no preseason, there was no training camp, so the first four or five games are going to act as a training camp slash preseason. Yes, Tom Brady did not look good during the opening game versus the Saints. But you're seeing why Bruce Arians was so highly thought 
Bruce Arias thought so highly of him when signing him to Tampa Bay, or everyone likes to say now Tampa Bay. The key for the Buccaneers' success is going to be the running game. Ronald Jones is second, and then Leonard Fournette. If they can make Tom Brady not have to win games with his arm, and the defense of the Buccaneers, led by Levante David, can do what they can do defensively, the road to the Super Bowl could literally go through Tampa. And remember, no host team has ever played in a home stadium for a Super Bowl. Tom Brady has probably the best chance of anybody to end that streak this year. And it sounds like the same ingredient the Denver Broncos used with uh, Peyton Manning. You know, great defense, and uh, yep. you know, and in you know, and basically the quarterback is the quarterback's always the bus driver. He's just driving it a little bit slower now. It's <laughs> really all that boils down to. Um, yep. The Kansas City Chiefs. What are your thoughts? I, you know, I they they are looking pretty stout as a as a chance to repeat. Well, Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the NFL. I don't think that's a close number two. All due respect to Russell Wilson. All due respect to Lamar Jackson. Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the NFL going today, and the performance he put up on Monday Night Football is just an example of why Andy Reid was willing to trade Alex Smith away to to the Washington Football Team and put Mahomes in the starting lineup because he unlocks so many different things with that offense. And can someone be smart and make Eric Bieniemy a head coach in the NFL? I know everyone talks about Andy Reid, but Eric Bieniemy is the offensive coordinator. He's the one that actually calls the plays for the Chiefs. So Eric Bieniemy needs to be a head coach in the NFL next season. I'm looking at a certain team in New York that wears green uniforms as, a pos- as possibly number one. But the Kansas City Chiefs, if they're going to repeat, they're going to need to rely a little bit more on the running game, particularly the rookie Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had a tremendous opening week. Haven't heard from him much in the last few games. If they can use that running game with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and not let Mahomes do all the work, then the Chiefs are going to be the heavy favorite again to repeat as Super Bowl champs. Yeah, but they they definitely do look impressive, uh, to say the least. Um, of course, I'm a Cowboys fan, and, and our friend the captain's a Redskin fan, so uh, I've, I'm glad to say I've had the upper hand uh, over him for many years uh, based on that fact. But uh, the Cowboys at 1-2 and two are an onside kick away from being 0-3. And, <laughs> and so the Mike McCarthy era, now that's not to say they're in dire straits because you know they were in the game with the Rams, they were in the game with Seattle. Dak Prescott... I think he's making a good case to be paid. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Mike McCarthy era so far in Dallas? The, the Dallas Cowboys are in the worst division in the NFL in the last 10 years, and that <laughs> includes a division in which a 7-8-1 team with the Carolina Panthers won the division a few years ago. Because mm-hmm. you have Philadelphia, who doesn't know what they want to do with Carson Wentz. You have the New York Giants, who lost Saquon Barkley, relying on Danny Dimes, Daniel Jones. And you got the Washington football team, who can't seem to protect their quarterback and really don't know what the heck they want to do. So, I guess the Cowboys could win the division by the. It wouldn't surprise me if eight if eight and eight won the division, or even seven and nine. No, no, <laughs> because that's how lousy the division is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, one of my good friends, the Cowboys fan, uh, as soon as the game ended, I said, "Don't worry, we're in the worst division of football. We can't lose the. We we'll still make the playoffs. It is it is pretty crazy." So, what what other story around the National Football League intrigues you the most about this season so far? The rash of injuries that we've seen 
George Kittle, Nick Bosa, we mentioned Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, marquee players on NFL teams missing time and missing the season. It is so it's mainly because, again, no preseason games, no training camp. You don't get the rigors of you don't get that those calluses of getting the getting the hits with the pads and going down the ground. So I would not be surprised if you see maybe some more major injuries as this season progresses. As it's, this, this season, like football, as we all know, Jeff, it's a game of attrition. Probably this 2020 season of the National Football League will be more so than ever before, not only because you're having to deal with the pandemic, but because you're still dealing with players who may still not be in game shape. It may need four, five, possibly six games to get themselves into shape. Yeah, it is interesting because, you know, I thought the very first week the the level of play was not tremendously bad considering they they did not have preseason but I think you're right where it comes to the uh, the conditioning and getting it into into football shape uh, definitely comes into play uh let's uh switch over to college here real quick um UCF Knights off to uh two 1-0 starts to start the season finally get to yes. open up at home um what what are your thoughts on the Knights so far in 2020 well, I love the fact that Dylan Gabriel has made that jump like similar to what Mackenzie Milton did when he went from year one to year two as a starter. The fact that they have so many weapons on the outside. We probably mentioned Trey Nixon because got, he got nicked up after the George, during the Georgia Tech game. Marlon Williams is someone who I've been really impressed with. Big body receiver, can throw it over to him. and You can throw it to him in the middle. He can catch it. He can go on the outside. You got guys with speed on the outside, and the defense for Randy Shannon continues to be opportunistic, forcing turnovers, causing trouble. I would like to see them be a little bit more stout in the past defense because you're going to have that showdown coming up with Cincinnati on the road at Nipper Stadium this year, which which always worries UCF fans. Cause remember the last time they had to deal with the, the Bearcats, they had to, they uh, took a big loss. Actually, by correction, UCF hosts Cincinnati this year. So UCF is to continue to get themselves going and still trying to find a way to replace Adrian Killens. Of course, you got a running back, back, you got a stable of backs at your disposal that by Otis Anderson, but everything is fine for UCF. And I think they're going to continue to show that why they're, they are the class program the american yeah and uh the one thing though they they got to get cleaned up are, are the penalties i mean this is yes. this is an ongoing issue and at some point and i think you know it's not like you know 15 years ago they have the kind of depth now that you, they can bench guys for making these mental mistakes i think the fact that you i've never i've played football for a long time i've watched football for a long time i've never seen four consecutive false starts to start a game, much less in a game where you had only 350 plus fans. <laughs> How did that, that? That is a lack of. That is a lack of discipline. That's a lack of focus. And I'm sure Josh Heupel um, was happy about the win, but I'm sure he was talking to the uh, offense. The offense saying, uh, "Can we clean up the penalties, gentlemen, please?" Yeah, you got you definitely have to take care of that. Um, yes. And then elsewhere around the state. You know, Florida State is is such a they're like a dumpster fire within a dumpster fire right now. Uh, uh, you know, it is it is shocking to me how bad they have become. 
Florida State—it's it, it, one of those things where I, you, you can, you can't blame Willie Taggart, you can't blame Jimbo Fisher because they're both gone. It's one of Florida State hasn't gotten the type of recruits that usually come to Tallahassee. Plus, they have not looked. They have looked downright average in September the last few years. They are struggling in games versus Stanford and Louisiana Monroe. They lose to a freshman quarterback in your season opener to Georgia Tech, and then what? What the heck? Whatever the heck happened. In the uh, at the at the Hard Rock Stadium versus my versus the U on Saturday night a couple of weeks ago, it, it I the one thing I will say this and I talked to a good friend of mine, Eric Lopez, who we both know he's a Florida State fan. Ever since DeAndre Francois got hurt in the season opening game a few years ago versus Alabama in Atlanta, that Florida State program has never been the same. Mm. Never been the same since he got hurt. Yeah, and it's like they haven't recruited any offensive linemen since then either. <laughs> no. It, it seems like for the last day, I've all been telling, telling Eric, uh, y'all guys are going to fix that offensive line, right? And they never do. Yeah, that's something that, uh, you know, it all starts right there, right up front. Um, mm-hmm. Now, how about uh, you mentioned the U. Are they back, or is it still too early to tell? We'll find out when they play Clemson. <laughs> I like what I see out of DeAndre King. They got Red Lashley, who was the offensive coordinator from SMU, who uh, brings a lot of very high-octane uh, running-gun offense. He got a great stable of tight ends with Miami. Everyone was saying Miami was back a few years ago. They beat Miami. They beat Notre Dame on national TV. Then Paul Palmer the next day put on the turnover chain. And I tell everybody that was the moment the Miami season was going to go down the tubes. And I was proven right as Miami lost out. Now, can Miami beat the big dog of the ACC in college football in Clemson? Because if they play tough against Clemson, heck, if they beat Clemson, then we will really say that Miami is returning back to national prominence. Yeah. And uh, the Florida Gators, they're very highly thought of. They're in a top 10 ranking. And uh, what do you think? Uh, are they. Can they make enough noise in the SEC? It tells you that Kyle Trapps was probably the best quarterback over Felipe Franks for the last couple of years. And it's unfortunate that it took an injury for him to get some run in Dan Mullen's offense. But from what we saw from Kyle Trask towards the end of last year, and what we saw from him in the season opener versus Ole Miss when he put up six touchdowns of 416 yards. But, but I'll tell you what, Kyle Pitts... That tight end, he's going to be a first-round pick. Mm. Yeah. He is so he is such a mismatch. He's bigger than cornerbacks. He's faster than linebackers. You can line it up anywhere in the formation, and that's an instant mismatch for Kyle Trask. And Florida has a plethora of receivers to choose from. There was a reason why a lot of people felt Florida, not Georgia, was going to be the team to challenge Alabama in the SEC. And so far, the experts are looking pretty good. Yeah, and, and I'm with you. I could not uh, figure out for the life of me what the Dan Mullen infatuation with Felipe Franks was because I just could not see it. And, you know, as the debate rages, you know, because, you know, Twitter is full of this fight of, you know, who's better, UCF or Florida? And when it was raging back then, I was like thinking, well, the, the more they play Franks, the, the better UCF looks. <laughs> Yeah, and look, Felipe Franks had his moments. We understand that he has his moments in Florida, but 
the offense look at the pro- I'll give you a perfect example. When Florida went to LSU on that Saturday night last year to take on the eventual national champions, Cal Trask went throw for throw with the Heisman Trophy winner, Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. It just after LSU had too much firepower for the Gators. But it shows you that Trask can handle those big moments. He had a great offseason. It's carried over into the fall. Again, the season opening performance, six touchdowns versus Ole Miss. If Trask puts up those numbers, don't be surprised if he gets named a Heisman finalist. Mm. That would be uh, that would be quite a quite a statement uh, to go from one time being Derek Derek King's backup in high school <laughs> to to to, yeah. to a Heisman invitation. That'd be pretty pretty spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, as far as the college football playoff, uh, what do you think is uh, what do you think down the road? Look into your crystal ball, and does a group of five team have a legitimate chance? If there was no Big Ten or Pac twelve then I would say yes. Now that the Pac-12 and the Big Ten are playing, the, the odds have, have gone down significantly. Mm-hmm. But with the committee itself, we're going to have a very difficult task this year because you know, how, how are you going to grade who the four best teams are when nobody's going to be playing out of conference? Everybody's going to be playing in-conference games. Mm-hmm. How can you grade a team from the Pac-12 versus a team for the ACC? How can you grade a team for the SEC versus a team from a, from the Pac-10? So how the committee breaks that down and factors in those group of five opponents really going to come into play. This is where UCF's win at Georgia Tech could be a benefit, could be a benefit to them if Georgia Tech has a, has a very good season under Jim Collins. So if UCF goes, let's say UCF goes undefeated, and, they, and on the resume, they have a win against Georgia Tech, who, oh, Georgia Tech went 9-3. They were contending that Georgia Tech somehow plays an ACC championship game this year. The committee can look at that and say, okay, their schedule is pretty, they had a pretty good, not, pretty good schedule. They're one game out of conference. They were dominant at Georgia Tech. Let's give UCF a shot. But I don't know how this whole process is going to go. No matter what happens, Chef, one thing we do know, somebody's going to be grabbing who's at five and six. Yeah, there's that. And then and then they also can go to their old formula of, you know, two SEC teams, Clemson, and uh, somebody in, in probably Ohio State. <laughs> so they, they, hey, the, hey, the, hey, the formula has a formula has never failed. <laughs> well, in a manner of speaking, it depends on who you ask, right? <laughs> yes. But, but uh, definitely, uh, you know, I, I just think that at, at some point you can't watch Clemson and Alabama play for the title year after year uh, if college football wants to grow more than just regionally. At least that, that's at least that's my thought on the process. Um, hey, well, Vic, this has been a ton of fun, and we will definitely have to do this again down the road sometime. So now it's the shameless plug portion of the program. So please, sir, uh, tell folks uh, where they can follow you on social media and talk about everything you've got going on. Well, you can follow me on social media. If you do so at your own peril, I'm on Twitter at CatbirdRed. I uh, host a podcast called In the Circle where we talk all things softball. You can follow that on social media, on Twitter and Facebook at In the Circle SB. Episodes come out every Monday and Thursdays with my good friend Eric Lopez. You can also listen to me every week as I do the Hollywood Uncle Polly Hollywood Minute on Captain Company in the Morning, which you can listen to Monday through Fridays, 9 a.m. to noon. 
on oldschool101.com. That's S-K-O-O-L, not the traditional spelling, oldschool101.com, and also on Twitch TV. All right, man. Well, thanks so much for your time, and uh, you have yourself a uh, terrific uh, football weekend. And, uh, and again, we'll do it again sometime. Yes, sir. Thank you, Jeff. And we'll be right back to close with the TV theme in just a moment. No Republicans, no Democrats, no team from Washington, no team with a star on the side of their head. We don't even talk about alpha and beta storms around here. And if you believe all of that, I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. Captain and Company in the morning, join me 9 to noon, weekday mornings on OldSchool101.com, because class is always in session around here, virus or no virus. The theme from SWAT, which was also a number one hit song for Rhythm Heritage in 1976. SWAT, an American action crime drama series about the adventures of the special weapons and tactics team operating in an unidentified California city. It was a spinoff of The Rookies, uh, a show we'll play that theme from. Uh, down the road sometime. The series a- aired on ABC from February 75 to April 76. You know, for some reason, I thought it lasted longer. Aaron Spelling, Leonard Goldberg were the executive producers, created by Robert Hamner and Rick Husky. And uh, SWAT stars Steve Forrest as the unit's leader, Lieutenant Hondo Harrelson. Robert Urich, I think this is the first Robert Urich sighting, <laughs> as he uh, was a constant... Uh, uh, Love Boat guest and uh, starred in the uh, uh, PI series Vegas. He was Officer Jim Street, Rod Perry as Sergeant David Deacon K, Mark Shera as Officer Dominic Luca, and James Coleman as Officer TJ McCabe. And uh, this show had a successful reboot in 2017, if you will. And they kept fairly true to the original theme, as you hear here now. Shamar Moore is now in the role of Hondo Harrelson, a sergeant and Los Angeles native who was promoted to team leader in a blatant attempt to ease tensions between the community and the LAPD. So they called L.A. home in this version of the series. Alex Russell taking on the Jim Street character. And he was a transfer from the Long Beach Police Department. And his mother, Karen, is in prison for murdering her abusive husband and Street's father and arrested by former SWAT team leader Buck Spivey. 
Uh, Lena Esco is uh, Officer Christina Chris Alonzo, a former canine officer and originally one of two females assigned to SWAT. Kenny Johnson in the Dominic Luca role, a third-generation SWAT officer. Jay Harrington takes the Deacon K role in this version, a 10-year veteran of SWAT who has passed over for promotion in favor of Hondo and the only member of the team to be married and have kids. David Leem as Victor Tan, a former officer with the Vice Squad. And uh, Patrick St. Esprit as Commander Robert Hicks, senior officer with the LAPD Special Operations Bureau. So we we gave you a double dose of the theme from SWAT from the mid-70s and 2017. And that is going to wrap things up for this edition of the show. As always, we thank you for listening. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.